Welcome to Home is Where the Torah is, the podcast series recorded in our homes and sent directly to yours. I'm Leon Morris, the president of the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. In this series, we get to learn from six members of our talented faculty as they consider Jewish perspectives on the notion of home. Stay tuned after the lecture for a brief conversation in Chavruta I'll be having with Mati Rosenshine, the gifted architect of our new building, as we pick up on an idea or two expressed by our teachers. In today's episode, we will learn from Rabbi Michael Hatton as he discusses the tent of Rivka, considering the connection between the temple and the home. The Tent of Rivka, Considering the Connection Between the Temple and the Home Chapter 24 of the Book of Genesis describes the death of our matriarch Sarah. Sarah lived a long and productive life, full of adventure and tests of faith. When she died, Avraham secured a burial plot for her and mourned her demise. Afterwards, Avraham sent his loyal servant eastwards to Mesopotamia in order to find a wife for his son Yitzchak, Isaac. Eventually, the servant returned with a young woman by the name of Rivka. She was to become Isaac's wife. The Torah describes the moment when Isaac and Rivka meet. Genesis chapter 24, verse number 67, relates, Vayivyeha Yitzchak ha'ohela Sarah imo. Isaac then brought her into the tent of his mother Sarah, and he took Rivka as his wife. Isaac loved her, and thus found comfort after his mother's death. In this verse, the memory of Sarah is related to the arrival of Rivka, the gaping hole left in Isaac's life after the death of his beloved mother, is somehow filled by Rivka, who becomes his wife. The implication is that whatever Sarah stood for, her values and her legacy are perpetuated by Rivka, who becomes Isaac's wife. The Midrash in Breshit Rabbah that is, the ancient commentary of the rabbis on this particular section elaborates on the moment. Breshit Rabbah chapter 60, paragraph 16, relates, Yitzchak brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother. As long as Sarah was alive, a cloud was affixed to the entrance of her tent. When she died, that cloud ceased. But when Rivka arrived, 
the cloud returned. As long as Sarah was alive, the doors were opened wide. When she died, that generosity ceased. But when Rivka arrived, the generosity returned. As long as Sarah was alive, a blessing was associated with the dough. When she died, that blessing ceased. But when Rivka arrived, the blessing returned. As long as Sarah was alive, a lamp burned from one Shabbat night until the next. When she died, that lamp ceased. But when Rivka arrived, the fire returned. Yitzchak saw that she followed the example of his mother, preparing her dough and separating the challah in ritual fitness. Immediately, he brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother. He took Rivka as his wife, and he loved her. Then was Yitzchak comforted for the death of his mother. Essentially, the Midrash enumerates four elements associated with Sarah's tent. When Sarah died, these four things ceased. When Rivka arrived, they returned. They were the cloud that hovered above Sarah's tent, the doors that were wide open, the blessing in Sarah's dough, and the light that was lit from one Shabbat night until the next. Significantly, these four elements, the cloud, the doors, the dough, and the light, are known to us from another tent, namely the Mishkan, the tent of meeting, or the tabernacle. The Mishkan, the tent of meeting, was the temporary dwelling for God's presence, as long as the people of Israel journeyed through the wilderness. When they came to the land and eventually set down roots and became permanent in the land, the temple was built at Jerusalem to take the place of the Mishkan or the tabernacle. The temple spoke of permanence, the tabernacle of temporariness, but fundamentally both buildings were about the same idea, the presence of God in the world. Within the temple, there was the table of the showbread, where bread was on prominent display. There was also the menorah, a special candelabrum that was kindled daily. The menorah and the table correspond to the light and the dough of Sarah's tent. The cloud that hovered above Sarah's tent corresponds to the cloud that is reported to have hovered above the tent of meeting as recorded at the end of the book of Exodus, Sefer Shmot. As for the doors that were wide open, they were, in fact, the public domain associated with the temple or the tabernacle, a building which was open to all Israelites at all times. 
What exactly is the connection between the elements of Sarah's tent perpetuated by Rivka and the elements of the Mishkan, the tabernacle, and the temple? The cloud, of course, is a potent symbol in the Hebrew Bible for God's presence. God is incorporeal. He has no body or material qualities. His presence is therefore suggested by a cloud that conceals even as it reveals his presence in the world. The table of the showbread in the temple spoke about God's sustenance, God's provision for our physical well-being. In all cultures, there is a grain, a bread as it were, which is the staple, the foundation of the food chain. The loaves of showbread in the temple, primarily for display, reminded the Israelites that God's presence was constant, that his sustenance was always there, that he was responsible for securing our physical survival. The menorah, on the other hand, the candelabrum that shed light and illuminated was a symbol for something more spiritual or more intellectual, the gifts of the mind rather than the body. The menorah that was kindled constantly in the temple suggested that God was the inspiration for our thoughts and for our spirit. The table of showbread and the menorah therefore spoke about God's constant involvement in our lives, both in terms of physicality as well as in terms of spirituality. God's presence, the cloud, hovered above the space. God's provision for our physical survival and our spiritual needs were suggested by the bread of the table as well as by the lights of the menorah. The doors that were constantly open to the people of Israel suggested that God was available and receptive. Effectively, what the Midrash is suggesting is that the inspiration for God's house, the most important location in ancient Israel, was none other than the tent of our matriarch Sarah and her daughter-in-law, Rivka. Whatever the temple was about, Sarah's tent was about. Whatever the tabernacle symbolized, Rivka's tent symbolized. Sarah's tent was wide open to the strangers and the downtrodden, to anyone who needed a meal and needed a place to stay. We refer to that in rabbinic literature as hachnasat orchim making our homes available to those that may need our help. Be they on a journey, be they vulnerable, 
be they sad. Sarah's tent was open, and Sarah's dough was blessed, which is to say that the dough in Sarah's tent was not simply about physicality as a value in its own right, but about the dignity of labor, about the importance of infusing our physical and material lives with meaning and with content. The light that burned bright in Sarah's tent from one Shabbat to the next spoke about her dedication to learning, to teaching, to developing the gifts of the Spirit. If there is only bread, then there is no development of the Spirit. If there is only Spirit, then there is no sanctification of the material and the physical. It is only by bringing these two things together in perfect balance that we can achieve godliness. Effectively, that was Sarah's accomplishment. And when she died, everything was in jeopardy. What would become of her legacy and her values? The Torah tells us, Isaac imbibed those values and wanted to transmit them. But in order to transmit them, he needed a mate who held to the same values and was committed to the same legacy. And that was Rivka. When the servant first met Rivka at the well, she demonstrated her concern for the thirsty and the hungry and those that journeyed, offering him to drink as well as all of his camels and doing so with haste. Rivka was therefore dedicated to so many of the values that Sarah had been dedicated. The Torah thus records that she is an appropriate successor to Sarah in the story. Effectively, the Midrash adds to this idea by suggesting that following Sarah's example is to turn our own homes into special places where physicality and spirituality are experienced as expressions of godliness, where a tent hovers, where our doors are open, so that others that need our help will find us available. Essentially, then, if we ask ourselves, what are the critical elements of the Jewish home? What are the things that must be transmitted and passed on? It's precisely these items that Sarah and Rivka stood for. That is the secret to the continuity of the Jewish people. Remarkably, some of these elements are incorporated on our Shabbat table from one week to the next. We may not realize it, but when we kindle the Sabbath lights, that is a memory, an echo of the kindling of the menorah in the temple and in the tabernacle. 
When we make a blessing over the challah loaves, that is a memory and an echo and an evocation of the special loaves that were on the table of the showbread that spoke about God's sustenance and God's involvement in our physical survival. And when we make the Kiddush, we sanctify the Shabbat as if to say this light and this bread are part of a larger vision, the vision of incorporating godliness in our lives. Essentially, Sarah's tent, perpetuated by Rivka, is the proto-tabernacle or proto-temple. The tabernacle and the temple derive their inspiration from Sarah's home. And we, in turn, derive our inspiration for our own homes from the tabernacle and the temple. God's abode, therefore, and this is a bold metaphor, is modeled after the abode of our matriarchs and patriarchs who were devoted to his cause, who were committed to the idea of ethical monotheism in the world, and who believed that we could make the world a better place by infusing it with holiness and with sanctity. The Midrash, therefore, is picking up on elements and themes that are fundamentally expressed in the Torah text itself, but only in outline. As the Midrash often does, it takes the Torah text and uses it as a springboard to develop those very ideas in greater depth, to elaborate and to provide detail. But most amazingly, what the Midrash actually suggests is that the tent of Sarah and Rivka is the model for the temple, as if to say God's abode on earth takes its cue from the kind of homes and the kind of environments that we create for our own families. Will our homes be places of spiritual refuge and nourishment? Will they be places where work is constructive and meaningful? Where the, will they be places where we demonstrate the importance of serving community, of helping others, of being generous and kind-hearted to the less fortunate? If the answer to those questions is yes, then effectively what we have created in our own homes is the temple in miniature, where that temple in miniature is nothing but the tent, the abode of our matriarchs, Sarah and Rivka. Thank you very much. This is Leon Morris. I'm sitting here with Mati Rosenschein, the architect of Pardes's new home, Beit Karen. Hello, Mati. Hello, and thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. Michael Hatton's beautiful shiur was 
about infusing our physical and material lives with content. And I'm thinking about the sense of hachnasat orchim, of welcoming guests, of being uh, audaciously hospitable, that is a core value of Pardes, right? We welcome Jews from every denomination and every place and every political orientation. And, and the diversity of who learns here is, is really a... Uh, it's really a key element of our own institutional identity. And I'm wondering, how does a building project that value of hachnasat orchim, that value of welcoming and openness? How do you achieve that in concrete? So it's a, a wonderful question because uh, there are so many f fine examples of very unfriendly buildings around mm -hmm. us, buildings that um, are, are purely functional and which are very opaque to the surrounding, that are very generic. And, and this is not a criticism on sort of vernacular architecture, but there are buildings that do not interact with the city and with the street and with the environment. And one of our objectives is, is to always uh, assure that the building's identity is clear to the street, that it fits in with the urban context, um, and that there is a dialogue with, with, uh, with the pedestrians on the street. Um, specifically in Pardes, we have been working uh, very hard to uh, balance the uh, openness, um, the hachnasat uh, orim quality that we want of, from this building. Um, there are primarily on the main street two components that we have been developing. One is the uh, more informal uh, social, socialistic aspects or social uh, spaces of the building, which deal with uh, uh, informal activities, student lounge and uh, administration and circulation spaces and uh, hanging out spaces and informal spaces, informal study spaces. So that's one type of space that we are uh, absolutely trying to expose to the street and uh, help invite people in and show the street who people, uh, who, who Pardes is all about. The other uh, component is the actual Bet Midrash, which uh, is more introverted and closed to the street, but not completely opaque. And there we are uh, working to develop the, uh, the concept uh, in an abstract way of the study of Gemara and texts and letters and words. And we're, we're really, really balancing these two pieces with stone and with glass, and there's a real contrast between the two. But with the idea of drawing people in, inviting people in, um, by virtue of these two components. I think that the primary objective here, because who Pardes is all about, what Pardes is all about, um, and how it is integrated with the Kehila, the greater Kehila, the, the neighborhoods, and the city, we're, we're doing everything to avoid uh, establishing a or constructing a sense of a, an ivory tower, which is not what Pardes is all about. It's about uh, informal connectivity and connectivity with the city 
and, and, and with the kehila. And, and that is a very important um, component which uh, the leaders of Pardes, uh, the uh, pilots of Pardes, have always uh, stressed to us. Beautiful. Uh, this sense of, we talk all the time about a sense of joint ownership of the texts of Jewish tradition. We, we want everyone to feel that they own these texts, not just, uh, not just rabbis, not just one denomination. Uh, all Jews feel a sense of ownership. And so it's really this idea of inviting everyone, inviting everyone in. That's a wonderful, wonderful idea. And um, I think one of our um, objectives and, and challenges is in, in bringing in certain design components which reflect texts, Jewish texts, is to, um, to reinterpret it and, and, uh, in, in such a way which is open to everyone, people that don't necessarily read Hebrew well or, or people who, who, who identify with one denomination or the other should be able to embrace it without being intimidated by certain iconography or certain uh, 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 motifs that, that there should be a level of abstraction in, in everything about Pardes so it is open for everyone to embrace and feel comfortable with without feeling threatened. Mm. Monty, thank you so much. Pleasure.